This is Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. Jews are an important part of the history of the United States. And their contribution stretches across many different fields, like cinema, politics, and of course, the bagel. But a little less known aspect of Jewish history in America is the role Jews played in wars, and in particular, the Civil War, and even the Independence War. When the Civil War broke, there were about 150,000 Jews in America. 125,000 of them lived in the Union States and supported Lincoln. As for the rest of them, 25,000 Jews, they were part of the Confederacy and some even fought for the rebels. To shed some light on this fascinating aspect of American Jewish history, we have on the show today the author, Chaim Rosenberg, who wrote a new book called Shield of David, a history of Jewish servicemen in America's armed forces. Chaim Rosenberg has written 15 books focused largely on the role of the individual in shaping American greatness. Rosenberg's books focus on the 1893 Chicago World's Fair, child labor in America, and the loyalists in the American Revolutionary War. His book, Yankee Colonies Across America, won the 2016 Nonfiction Prize of the New England Society in the city of New York. We are super thrilled to have Chaim on the show with us today to talk about his new book. Thank you so much for joining us, Chaim. Thank you, and I'm thrilled to be here. So where should we start? I didn't even know that there were Jews in America in 1861 is when the Civil War started. You're asking me? You were in public school in America. (laughs) I didn't even know there were Jews in, in America at that time. Well, there were the Jews in America since 1654, when a colony of, of Jews from Brazil uh, fled to uh, to New Amsterdam uh, because they were Dutch Jews, and they were afraid that the Portuguese would take over and there'll be an Inquisition in Brazil. So they fled to the to the other uh, Dutch colonies in the Caribbean. And this one particular boat got uh, waylaid and landed up in New Amsterdam, which of course is now New York. And this is 1654, and they were Sephardim. Wow. And so there, there, were, there were several uh, migrations of Jews. The first was Sephardim, and the one you talked about, about the Civil War, were largely German-speaking Jews that came from the various German, uh, German republics. Uh, around the the 19th century, and they fled because there was turmoil in in Germany or German states. Uh, The bigger immigration that we all know about, of course, was the the Ashkenazi immigration starting around 1880. And most Jews think that the Jewish history in America began with the migration of Eastern European Jews, but of course it began 200 years before that. And and do we know, is there any record of who was the actual first Jew in America? Well, I, you know, I can't re- recall the name offhand, but there was a boat. With, there were 13 people on the, on the boat, and they landed up in New York, and they met uh, Peter Stuyvesant, who was then the governor of uh, Dutch uh, New Amsterdam, and he took a dis- distinct dislike to them because they, he accused them of being Christ killers and an abominable race, and he tried to get rid of them. 
but they fought back because they had contact with the Dutch East India Company in, in Amsterdam and, and they were allowed to stay in New Amsterdam. And then within 15 or 20 years, New Amsterdam was conquered by the British and it became, of course, New York City. So I, I kind of misled you. The truth is, years ago, we had a uh, historian by the name of Jonathan Sarna on the show, and he wrote a book called Lincoln and the Jews. And I think I recall him spe- talking about the fact that there, the truth is, up until 1848, there weren't that many Jews, if I remember correctly. But the, the revolutions in Europe kind of spurred this, this influx of Jewish immigration. Is that correct? Well, that's right. I mean, there were, were perhaps uh, 2,000, 2,500 Jews in the whole of, uh, of British North America before the Revolutionary War, and they were mostly Sephardim, and they played a, a not inconsequential, but not a large role in the Re- American Revolution. But the one role I think they did play was to begin to agitate for equal rights, because until until the American Revolution, it, it was a Christian country, and, and, and people who could only hold government offices if they were Christian. So there were Jews, even around 1810, 1815, who were were Sephardi in origin, who were agitating for equal rights, although giving them the opportunity to have their own religion. So I think the the role that Jews played, even from the early days of the early 19th century, was to agitate to be American and to be different. Which is, I mean, a big part of being American. I mean, today the idea of like freedom of religion is almost inseparable from right. the idea of being American. So it's a, it's pretty amazing that 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 actually came from a from from a Jewish background. Well, yeah, because but, but most of the laws of the of the thirteen states uh, specified that you had to be Christian to hold office, and uh, there were a number of Jews in Philadelphia and elsewhere who protested against that. And also, I think uh, uh, President uh, Washington took a stand that that uh, the Jews were equal citizens and they were allowed to live under their own olive tree or fig tree, whatever phrase he used, as equal citizens. So the the idea of equal citizenship came both from President Washington as well as from Jews agitating to be allowed to uh, hold office, to live where they like, to go to universities as they wished. And this began uh, around 1815, and by about 1820 or 1830, most of the original states had lifted this, the ban on, on, on Jews entering public office. So the, the, the role of Jews in the early days uh, began uh, to agitate for equal rights, although the, the right to be different in religion. And then, so so around the middle of the 19th century, a, a bunch of Jews showed up in in the United States. Is that true? Like, how did that happen? And what was the what was the rate of like growth? Well, they were they were around the 1830s or thereabouts. There was a lot of agitation in the German states. There were revolutions and a lot of upsets, a lot of upset, and 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 many many Germans, uh, non-Jewish Germans began to emigrate, and amongst the immigration was a, a migration of American Jews, of, 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 of German Jews, and who settled uh, mostly in the Midwest, in, in Cincinnati, in Cleveland, Chicago. So they went to, they went west, as most of the Germans did, and they followed the migration of, of uh, other Germans, uh, most of whom were, were Christian, but this uh, maybe 150,000 were, were German Jews, migrated uh, mostly as you said before to the 
to the north of the country but a significant number settled in the south. That was, that the, was so, actually the beginning of the uh, American deli sandwich. Mm. That was... <laughs> right? I mean, that must have been when the Subway sandwich started. When Katz's Deli, <laughs> right? That's the origin of Katz's Deli. Not really. I mean, I don't know, but... And and uh, did did Jews back then own slaves? Did they own slaves? Own slaves? No. Well, uh, yeah. You know, there were these these. They were mostly young men, and uh, one of the. By the way, one of the young men was a guy called Karl Marx, who who did not come to America, but he 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 fled to England, and he wrote uh, Das Kapital in England. But he was part of that. Uh, migration of German Jews. Most went to, to France or England. Some came to the United States. Now, they, they were poor, and, uh, and uh, they were mostly peddlers, and they certainly were not in a position to own slaves. I'm sure there were some who owned slaves, and they got richer, maybe, just before the, the Civil War. But I would say the, the, the rate of slave owning amongst uh, the Jews was very small, because they were uh, um, a, a fairly impoverished minority of young men living mostly by themselves and going from place to place selling goods. Mm-hmm. Okay, so where does the Civil War meet the Jewish community in America? Like, what happens? Well, the Civil War found uh, about 150,000 Jews living in America, most uh, two-thirds or maybe 80% living in, the, in what became the Union, and about 20 to 25% were in the, what became the Confederacy. And the Jews in the, in the Union backed the Union, and Jews in the Confederacy backed the, con- the Confederate government, were loyal to their respective governments. And they fought in the war uh, on opposite sides. I, I didn't find too many examples of, of, of uh, Jews uh, finding other Jew, uh, Jews on the opposite sides uh, in battle. But there is one famous painting of a, uh, done by a, a Jewish painter of, of uh, two brothers who find each other. One had, had shot the other, and they were sort of lying together in misery because one was a Confederate soldier, the other was a Union soldier. So so these uh, these guys fought each other, and there are some lovely stories about uh, celebrating Passover in, in the war and trying to make do with what they could find. And one lovely story I can recall of a, of a Northern Jew who happened to find himself in the South, and he was... Uh, and he was at Pesach, and he saw a young boy in Richmond, Virginia, eating a piece of matzah. So he said to the boy, can I have a piece of your matzah? And the kid said, shouted out, Mom, there's a damn Yankee Jew wanting matzah. So the mother came out, and she invited the, the Yankee to, uh, to the Shabbos, uh, to the uh, Passover Seder that evening. So it's a nice story of, 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 of uh, a Jew from the North meeting Jews from the South, but they were on the whole uh, opponents of each other. And what other like challenges did Jews face fighting in the in the Civil War? Well, there's one one great story that, that happens has to do with, with Ulysses Grant, who was then a, a general, and he opposed uh, people trying to smuggle cotton from the south to to the north. There was a tremendous need for cotton because cotton was used for to making tents and making uniforms, what have you. And there were some people who were trying to to smuggle cotton in. And Grant got the idea, with drama, who I'm not quite sure, that they were Jews. So he made a law, uh, law number eighteen, number eleven, uh, banning all Jews from his territory in the in 
where he was in control, and he wanted them all to be kicked out in 24 hours. So there was an appeal by some prominent Jews to directly to President uh, Abraham Lincoln, and Lincoln said this, I thought, quite wonderful uh, statement that you can't punish uh, a whole group for this because of the transgressions of a few, and he he uh, he mitigated this law, and the Jews were allowed to stay. So I think there were incidents of anti-Semitism, uh, certainly, and accusations that Jews were were trying to profit from the war, which is a classic anti-Semitic idea. And uh, but on the whole, these uh, the Southern Jews fought uh, admirably for the South, and the Northern Jews fought admirably for the North. Is there any documentation about why the Southern Jews were fighting for the South? Like, were they fighting just because they were loyal to their? governments or were they were is there any kind of documentation that they were actually fighting for the cause well uh, a small number of these uh, these, these german uh, origin jews had fought in german wars so they when they came to the united states they got uh, positions in the army above uh, sergeant and or lieutenant some were captains and some were even generals so but they were loyal People are loyal to their country, and, and the, when the South became an independent, became a, con- a confederacy, the, the people who lived in the South, all the white people, at least, though, became uh, followers of the confederacy, and the Jews uh, went along with that uh, as much as any other people, and as much as other immigrants from other from Germany or elsewhere. So they were just loyal to their country, and they were grateful to be in the United States in the first place, and they were, became loyal to citizens of the North and loyal citizens of the South. I mean, it should be said that in Judy, in Jewish law, slavery is is uh, detailed. Like the, it's a legal thing, and it there there is it's the, a legal thing. It's, or a, le- it's a legal thing, slavery in mm-hmm. Jew in Jewish like halachic law, and there are details about how exactly it should be. I mean, the. At the time, I think it was, I mean, at the, uh, you know, in biblical times, it was rather humane the way that Judaism went about slavery. But I wonder if that played into any of this and if there were any documentation about Jews talking about, you know, the South fighting for slavery or was there? Well, you know, know, for those, anyone who lives in America knows that slavery is is, uh, a fundamental part of American uh, history. And uh, maybe it's a fundamental part of the history of the whole of the Americas, North and South America. And there were slaves all over. In fact, in, in, until the 18th, the 18th century, there were a ruling class, mainly of Europeans, and then the rest of the people were enslaved. Either they were enslaved for life, or they were enslaved for a, a period of endangered servitude. So that's how the world was in those days. And uh, it certainly was true in North America, and, and slavery was was an essential feature, even even during the, the Revolutionary War, uh, the British tried to uh, to uh, get the slaves to be on their side, and and the Americans uh, under under George Washington demanded that the slaves be returned as slaves. So America has this this incredible dichotomy between a country fighting for liberty and freedom, at the same time that it was a major slave-owning country. But I think that that. That, that, that there was uh, talking about the sin of slavery. Well, uh, you know, there were there were the the Dutch East India Company and the Dutch West India Company were were involved as with the British and the and the Portuguese and the Spanish and the slave trade. 
So there were a number of Jews in the 17th, 18th century involved in the slave trade. But I don't think it was a big factor for the Jews living in the South who were migrants from Germany because they were poor people and they almost all of them could not could not afford slavery. So it wasn't an issue uh, uh, of the South, but the, they did fight, they did fight loyally for the, for the South, but they were not fighting to preserve slavery. They were fighting to preserve state rights, so they say. Mm. Is there anything to be said about the fact that the the like difference, the distribution between the Jews? I mean, is that just representative of the way the population was distributed back then? The the fact that there is a hundred and twenty five thousand or eighty percent of the Jews were living in the Union and twenty percent were living in the Confederacy. Is that just representative of the way the population was split, or is is that abnormal? Well, the, the North had industry, and, and cities like Cleveland, Cincinnati, Chicago were becoming great industrial cities, particularly with the, with the textile trade of uh, both uh, spinning cloth and as, well, as well as making clothing. And the Jews who were in the same sort of trades in Germany began to get into the business of, uh, of textiles. So in the North, uh, being more industrialized, they had the bigger population, they had two-thirds of of the American population at the time, the South had one third because the South was uh, agrarian, it was, uh, industri- uh, was not industrial, it was slave owning, uh, mainly tobacco and of course uh, cotton. So the, the, the big concentration of Jews was in New, were in New Orleans and cities like Charleston and Savannah, but, but, but New Orleans was the great center of the cotton trade. And. Uh, how did this book of yours come to be in the first place? Like, how did you start working? Why did you start working on the book? I, well, you know, as, as I think I, you, you said at the beginning, I've written, uh, I, I'm a psychiatrist uh, by profession, but I, when I retired from medicine in 19, about 2000, 2000 I, I decided to, to find another occupation. I became a historian. And I was then living in the Boston area, and I became interested in the industrialization of America. And I wrote books about, uh, as you said before, of the, how the individual makes the contribution to American life. Uh, but these are all go- these are all uh, Yankees, and and so I decided uh, about three years ago to write a Jewish book. And the the book the book essentially is the contribution and the role of Jews in American life. And I think. That, that the many Jews still see themselves as being sort of newcomers uh, because they are mostly Ashkenazim who came around 1880 and onwards. So they have an idea that they are newcomers, but in fact Jews are a well-established old, uh, one of the oldest of the non-Christian communities in America. So I became interested in, in measuring the contribution of Jews from the perspective of, of, of the army. Why the army? Because uh, At one time, people like Mark Twain said that Jews were wonderful citizens, but they were cowards and that they did, didn't join the army. And the implication was that Jews are not patriotic enough. And this is an accusation that goes back and forth in Europe and the United States that Jews are self, or a self-motivated group who care about themselves and don't care about the country in which they live. And I wanted to show that Jews did care about the country in which they lived and they were proud and, and determined citizens. And were willing to play their role even in fighting for the country and giving their lives if need be so tell us one or two more stories from the from the book like is there like an inspiring or unique story 
of an individual you tell in the book? Well, you know, the, 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 I, I, I quote the, the, the biographies of hundreds of people. Uh, this, this wasn't a Jewish uh, conspiracy or some sort of attempt of Jews to show that they were good Americans. This was the choice of individuals, the individuals as, as newcomers to America who were either gra- drafted into the army or volunteered into the army. Many were volunteered. And many would most were drafted as is true of the of the of the other uh, ethnic groups. so they they played their role as Americans and and uh, and whichever side they chose in the civil war was, was in the south versus north, but the World War one and World War two is absolutely for the country mm-hmm. and in World War one, how did it work? the Jews were drafted uh, was it obligatory or? Well, that's that's an interesting story because by by the world war one the 19- great war 19- it wasn't the world war one at the time it was just the great well, war well when, when world war one began and america entered the war through two or three years later after it started in europe uh, most of the jews in america were, were greenhorns they were people who had come from europe maybe 10 15 20 years ago tops So they were Yiddish speaking still, and uh, their parents certainly were Yiddish speaking, and there was great apprehension about whether they, they, they should join the army or not, but they, many did join the army, uh, volunteered, and, and many were, were conscripted, and, and the rate of, of volunteerism amongst Jews is about the same as it was for other ethnic groups, and so they were not distinguishable. But they, but they were a new, new group trying to make their way in America, and you have people like... Like uh, Irving Berlin, who was a, a little Yiddish boy from somewhere in Europe who had become the, uh, America's uh, beloved uh, songwriter. And he was drafted into the army into the 77th division, which was a New York based division which had about one third or one quarter of its members were Jewish. Wow. And then World War II, of course, that's the most the World War II is the most famous. I guess war when Jews and it was also depicted in movies right it was depicted in saving saving private Ryan also if I recall correctly there's a Jewish uh, but how 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 did the logistic work the logistics well in World War one uh, there were about a quarter of a million Jews who were enlisted or volunteered into the army and fought against uh, against Germany and Germany's allies and In World War II, there were over a half a million Jews because at that time there were four and a half million Jews in America. And by that, by that time, by 1941, the Jews were very heavily uh, integrated into American life and they were mostly English-speaking. Had, had many had university uh, degrees, so they, were, they contributed as Americans. And they were drafted and they fought, on, on, of course, on, on both against Japan and against Germany. Uh, The, the Nazi Germany so the two stories are quite different because they were on one hand fighting Japan there was no real Jewish component to that they just happened to be Jewish soldiers amongst other soldiers fighting in the West and mm-hmm. the battle in the in, in Europe of course is a whole other story it had to do with the genocide and the Holocaust and Jews uh, who had a much more personal role in, in identifying and also of course the army um, uh, was by 90 by 1941 was beginning to 
allowed Jews to become Jews and, and providing kosher food on, on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and also matzah on, on, uh, on Pesach. And also, if, if Jews died, they were buried under the Star of David rather than the cross. Mm -hmm. So the army was beginning to yes. uh, to accommodate uh, people who are not Christian and uh, accept people who were Jewish and, and to acknowledge that. But I would say, on the whole, the, the rank and file were young Jewish boys who were mainly from New York, mainly from big cities, and they had met non-Jewish people for perhaps for the first time. But most of the officers were very keen to integrate into American life, and many of them uh, intermarried and, and were lost to, to Jewish life. Was there one particular story that stood out to you while writing this book, That a story maybe of bravery? Oh, yeah. Well, there are a number, maybe 17, 18 Jews who over time achieved the, merit, the, the Medal of Honor, which is America's highest award. And um, there's there's one uh, uh, I can think of in, in World War One who did some incredible stuff, running through fields, uh, being exposed to enemy fire, and and, the, and somehow getting to the other side and reporting uh, that his group was uh, under danger, and he got the this great award. So there were a significant number of Jews uh, in the, in several wars, particularly in World War One, who awarded the Medal of Honor. For their bravery, um, they're, they're, they're also, the story I always like to tell is of, of American of the, the, the one one story of four chaplains who are on a boat. Uh, I think two Protestants, one Catholic and one Jewish uh, chaplain, and the boat was torpedoed and the boat was going down. And these four uh, chaplains gave up their lifeguards uh, to other no. men. And they drowned, and and uh, they saved uh, other people's lives. And I thought that was a very heroic act. When wow. I think of, it's that's amazing. When I think about it, World War One is also unique because, if I recall correctly, the German army in World War One yeah. had very prominent Jewish high commanders. Oh. So right. you also had instances of Jews fighting Jews. Yes, and, and but there are some there are some nice pictures I've seen of uh, photographs of, of uh, French Jews and American Jews and British Jews and Australian Jews uh, having celebrating hug uh, together uh, on, on on Pesach. So the, the the Jews on the one side got together, uh, but they happened to be fighting. Uh, I think something like 300,000 German Jews have fought heroically, many of them, for, for Germany. And many of them achieved high positions in the Army and the Navy and the, and the Air Force. And, the, and after the war, they were accused of stabbing uh, Germany in the back. So the whole story of, of, of the Nazi experience was a shock to German Jews who had thought they had made a contribution to their motherland. Yeah. And suddenly they were accused of, being, of being, uh, stabbing the country in the back. How did you research this book? Did you go like to dig in archives in the... uh, how did you do it well well, I live in Chicago and there is a museum here called the Prisca Museum and they have a library it's a his it's a, a history uh military history museum and I went there and i they gave me a whole lot of books to read uh i i I went through the files of the New York Times I went through the The, the Jewish uh, uh, Historical Society 
And uh, I've written um, other, as you said before, other books on history, and I, I think I'm pretty astute at ferreting out information of, of individual people uh, looking back in old books and looking in newspapers. And uh, and uh, there is a, there's one, can I just tell one lovely story? Yes. Uh, I think it's a story of the Civil War. This is a story I found in the New York Times, uh, 1864 which uh, involves a Jewish boy who was fighting on the Union side and he, his, his mother was ill, so he skipped the army and he, he, he deserted. And the army made a spectacle of him and five other people and they, they shot them and they, they tried them in public and they were, they were shot and buried in public. But the, the boy, he was helped by uh, Rabbi Zolt, who happened to be the father of Henrietta Zolt, was a rabbi in Baltimore. And rabbi Zold, who was a German Jewish rabbi by birth, uh, appealed to, to President uh, Lincoln to spare the life of this young man, but they did not spare his life. Wow. That's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there would be a happy ending to this story, but. Uh... There's, there's another, well, there's another happy ending. I, with another Jewish boy who was, who had, who had, was deserted and was about to be. To be shot in, and uh, and they appealed to the Jewish community appealed to Lincoln and Lincoln uh, saved the boy, and then uh, six months later he was killed in another battle. And uh, so that's Lincoln, another uh, no happy ending story. <laughs> a slightly a slightly <laughs> delayed sad ending. But I can relate to the first story because you know. A Jewish boy will come to his mother, right? Even if it's a battle, no, no matter the, a Jewish the circumstances. Boy, yeah, it's very well, relatable. Uh, well, you know, I, I would say the, the, the differences were smaller than the similarities of it. These were people fighting, uh, Jewish boys fighting side by side with with Christians, and I think there's that wonderful play by Neil Simon about. Uh, uh, Biloxi Blues, and if you've seen it mm-hmm. about Jewish boys that end up in, in, in Mississippi or somewhere and find themselves uh, with, with people of, of other groups and other races and how difficult it was for them to to uh, acclimate. So, so, but I think that's true of, I suspect if, uh, if you asked uh, Swedes or Norwegians or Germans, well, they would have other stories about how difficult it is to acclimate. And certainly if you ask black people, you would have stories about how difficult it is to get uh, treated equally. But I would say on the whole, the Jews, uh, the army, the arm, the American army learned over 200 years how to adjust to people who are not Christian. And nowadays I understand that there are 50, 60 other groups, Sikhs and Muslims and the Hindus and all other people for whom the army adjusts and accommodates. It's fascinating that, I mean, you mentioned earlier that most states required by law that in order to sit in their legislatures you had to be Christian. I didn't know. I didn't know that. When was that changed? It changed. It began to change as early as about eighteen fifteen, and by about eighteen seventy, all the states had uh, it rescinded that uh, restriction, and uh, I think New New Hampshire was the last one to keep it. Eighteen seventy uh, or eighteen seventeen. 1870. 70. Wow. Yeah. So, so I, th- I think these laws don't apply anymore. But I think when it comes to 
where you live, what university you go to, I don't think there have ever been restrictions against Jews in America. Amazing. Chaim, uh, where can people get the book? Oh, well, Amazon.com is the place to go. If it's available, both as a hard copy. Can I say the price? Or? Of course. $33. Uh, and it's also available as a, a, a Kindle book, which I think is for a bargain price of $9.95 or so. Okay. And you can get it anywhere in the world as a Kindle book. And I think it's... A, I would say if, if I were living in Israel, I would buy the Kindle book. The pictures are much clearer. Yes. And uh, there have been... But most of our audience is in the States, by the way. But and I, most of our audience is in the States, and I think a hard copy is, uh, is yeah. always nice to have in your library. And, you know, it sounds like you put so much work into this project, then it's really worth uh, every penny. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much. Uh, I, hope, I hope people will follow your advice. So the name of the book again? It's Shield of David, A History... Of America, of servicemen in America's armed forces. And when when did you start writing this book? Uh, oh, about two two years ago. I I well, well you know I'm I write uh, with with uh, in great enthusiasm, and once I get into a project, it's a ten hour a day wow. thing for me, six days a week. Wow. So, I, but it was a ton of work, and um, with ups and downs, as like in all publishing. And, uh, and I'm pleased I did it, and I, I think I, I said in the book somewhere that there, there are two pillars of, America, of Jewish life. One is in Israel, of course, and the other, other, I hope, is in America. And I think these two pillars are essential to maintain a vibrant Jewish uh, community throughout the world. So that's my, wow. my contribution that uh, meets other people's approval. Beautiful. Well, for, for me, it's it's super relevant because uh, I I'm a, I was born and raised in America, and I was I was actually raised in the South, so I have a bunch oh. of connections to, to. Think about it, Chaim. That yeah. uh, 200, 150 years ago, if Eitan was w- w- would be born then, he would be a Confederate soldier. Uh, you know, <laughs> would have been a tragedy. <laughs> Maybe they would win the war. <laughs> <laughs> God forbid. Him <laughs> as a general, who knows, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have been a general. No, no, no worry there. He would be a deserter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chaim, thank you so much for taking the time. Really, thank you. And guys, if you, if you love history, if you love Jewish history, if you love American history, if you like history of uh, armies and, and geopolitics and all that stuff, all that good stuff, you got to get this book. Shield of David, a history of Jewish servicemen in America's armed forces. You can find it on Amazon, so check it and out. And also check out the other, the other books by Chaim Rosenberg. You've written, f- you've written 15 books total, huh? I, I have. I've, 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 the ones I'm most proud of, I think, are the one on, on child labor, which I think was an interesting book. And uh, there are books also about the beginning of the Industrial Revolution and, the, and how people in New England went to to England to see how you can make stuff using uh, water power. Mm. So this is a story that dates back to the beginning of the 19th century. Yeah. And and how to use water power to generate the power to to make cloth. So 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 I'm intrigued, as you said before, in, in how a one person, an individual can set an example and change the course of history. Well, we and, love that uh, message. We definitely love very that message. To you. Very grateful to you both for inviting me 
I've enjoyed it immensely. Thank you so much. Thank Good luck with the book, and we're looking forward for the next one. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you guys for tuning in. Guys, Bye-bye. see you on the next episode. Bye.